Welcome to the very first episode of Lens Talk, where the team and I, Philip Reeve, discuss lenses and other photography related topics. When I proposed the idea of starting a podcast, the others were rather skeptical. What would it be good for? But in the end, I could convince them that the worst outcome would be that we had a nice chat about gear and no one would listen to it. Well, a good outcome would be that it would be entertaining and maybe also a little helpful to our audience. And that's basically the whole concept. We connect on Skype and chat about lenses and other photography-related topics. For every episode, we will have a list with a few topics, but we don't really pre prepare for it. Since it worked well for the blog, we decided to just get started and refine things along the way. Audio quality will certainly be improved over time. We will be better at running a show and we also might develop different segments or have guests, but the focus will be on having an interesting discussion. To help us get better, we would greatly appreciate your feedback. So please leave a comment and let us know what you liked about the first episode and also what you didn't like. And now you can listen to the very first episode of Lens Talk. Hi, Yannick. Hi, Philip. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Hi, Bastian. Hi, Philip. Nice to meet you. Great. So let's start. I don't really know where this is going, but to find out, my best idea was to start it. So let's talk cameras first. Uh, Bastian, you have a new camera, I heard? Yeah, I, I bought an A7 Mark III to complement my A7R2, mostly for the improved autofocus like the, the new real-time AF, especially in combination with the adapted Canon lenses. But I am not super happy at the moment, to be honest. And, but I'm not sure whether it's a lens issue, adapter issue, camera issue. You never know. Okay, so your exact setup is you use the Canon 200mm f2, mostly? Do you have any yeah, exactly. And the, the, the Metabones uh, adapter, because I mostly I was using the Sigma MC11, but with this camera and lens combination, it, it simply refuses to work. So it's, I cannot even change aperture with that combination. I have absolutely no idea why, to be honest. Okay, and that's a pity because it's your proven adapter so far. Exactly, this is the thing. What whatever Canon lens I've been using so far, everything worked completely flawlessly. But this exact combination does not work, and this is super crazy because the lens with the Sigma MC11 works on R2, works on A7S, but not on the Mark III. It's it really is a pity, yeah. Mm. Okay. And so you use Metabounce, but why are you unhappy with it? Yeah, this is the thing. So um, at, at first it looked like it's, it's working pretty well, like IAF is working. Now with A7 III, the, the uh, image stabilizer is working as well. But now I had like three shootings with this combination 
and in two shootings I encountered severe technical issues, meaning the lens simply refuses to work, or the adapter, I don't know. It's um, Instead of the aperture, you get two hyphens and there is nothing you can do anymore. Just unmount the lens, remount the lens, and hope it goes back to normal. That's all you can do. Ouch. Um, and when it works, it works okay regarding autofocus? When, when it works, it really well. The, the thing is, not always it picks the right eye, but I have not enough experience with the camera yet to know whether it's uh, it's the same for all lenses or it's a lens issue. I don't know. With, with the 85 1.4, it also does not always hit the right eye. Okay. So, Yannick, you've so, been using yes. it a lot longer. You were really happy with the autofocus as far as I noted. Um, like on all A7 cameras, I was an early adopter uh, in case of the A7 Mark III as well. So um, I pre-ordered it from day one and uh, been using it now for more than a year. And uh, I, I don't have these is issues, but I'm mostly using native uh, lenses. And um, he here is also a, a big uh, ex or, or a great example of, um, yeah, what uh, that the lenses become uh, the bottleneck in terms of autofocus and not the camera anymore. This uh, is a big change from the Mark II cameras to the Mark III cameras. The um, really, really fast lenses like the 24 to 70 G Master or the uh, 135 millimeter G Master um, are focusing tremendously well and uh, always uh, hit the right eye or at least as far as I uh, can remember it. Um, um, while the, while uh, so the right eye is the one closer to you or what's the right eye for you? Oh, yes, so, sorry sorry to say. Um, I'm preferring always the eye that is closer to me. Otherwise, um, yeah, I would wonder. Yeah. And um, it's always the closer eye. I, I know that on the A6400 and on the A9, there is an option to uh, customize a button and uh, switch the eye uh, or the preferred eye on it. But uh, this is not available for A7 Mark III. And I think they don't plan it uh, to implement it, as uh, at least I never read about it. So it's actually quite interesting because I. I didn't know that this feature is available on on the A9 and the A6400. And in, in general, I think I already noticed this when using A7S and R2 alongside, that um, the cameras share certain features or don't share them, like with those two cameras. With R2, I can assign a button to silent shooting. With A7S is not possible, but the camera offers silent shooting. And mm. I think the more cameras that are released, the bigger the mess gets. You, it's, it's very hard to keep track what camera can actually do what these days, at least for me. 
Okay. Um, and back to your IAF issue. Um, is it that... Do you share Yannick's philosophy that it should focus on the eye closer to you? Yeah, or? definitely. definitely. It, it gets a bit more tricky when you have more than one person in the frame. You can yeah, you sure. can register faces and things like that. But in general, like for me, the, the case I need most is the eye closest to me should be in focus, definitely. Mm. Okay. Um, and Yannick, you used the G-Master 85mm for some time as well, didn't you? Yes, I, I used it uh, and I sold it in favor of the 85mm 1.8 uh, just because I uh, have a little child that's running around uh, all the time and uh, the 85mm 1.4 wasn't able uh, to keep up with it, uh, at least on cameras like the Alpha 6500. Uh, I didn't try it on the A7 Mark III yet. Ah, okay. But, but Bastian, do you have the issue with the choice of the right eye um, with the 85mm G Master as well? Because that's a different sto story if it's a native lens, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I need to further investigate this. Like these last two days, I have been mostly using two cameras, the, the 85 on the R2 and the 200 2.0 on the Mark III uh, because changing lenses with a 200 millimeter <laughs> is quite a trouble to be honest <laughs> because best case scenario you have three hands and I don't have that many so it is, it is really really messy changing that lens so what worked best for me so far is one camera with the 200 and then another camera for 85 and 28. This, these are the lenses I have been using the last two days. So, so probably the most elegant solution would be to uh, use the A7R2 for the 200 millimeter now and the A7 Mark III for the 85 millimeter G Master. Um, Yes and no. The problem is the the image stabilizer of the lens totally doesn't work on the R2. I get so many blurry out of focus shots. This is crazy. And obviously, I also don't have IAF on that camera with that mm. lens. That is that is kind of a problem. Yes, I agree. Uh, I Although. Depth, depth of field uh, in general is uh, more critical, at least on same subject size, uh, if you use an f1.4 lens, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah, this is the thing. This is also why I actually like the 200, because you have, compared to an 85 1.4 and same subject size, same size of the head in the frame, mm. I, I have more parts of the face in focus while still having the background more out of focus. This is why in general I prefer the 200 2.0 over the 85 1.4. Yes, I agree. That's also a reason why I got the 135, although this isn't directly comparable to having a 200 millimeter lens, but the thought behind it is the same. Yeah. 
So this is the, the 85 is, is also quite critical. And in I would also say after these shootings, when the AF on the 200 hits properly, is way sharper than the 85. It's actually I have I have many pictures where I think like oh the, the 200 may actually be a bit too sharp for portrait. So I'm very glad for the new Lightroom structure slider. I use it a lot with that lens. Uh, so you tried several super super fast 200-180 millimeter lenses like the uh, Olympus back in the day, the Canon 1.8. Uh, Nikon 200. Uh, yeah. 200. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think you will keep the Canon in the end? Uh, the the thing is, the Canon is by far the most convenient because it it offers AF image stabilizer the minimum focus distance is, is not as good as the olympus 180 but it's still better than the others i i save half a kg over most of the other lenses so it it is kind of convenient to use but i have to find out where those uh, technical issues are from so I, I don't yet know um, what what is the cause. Is it is it the electronics of the lens? Is it the adapter? I, I simply don't know. And the worst thing is, I don't yet know how to provoke this malfunction. This yeah. is what what really sucks. It's just in in the middle of a shoot, it it just suddenly refuses to work. At, at first, I thought like. Maybe it's the, the radial play of lens, adapter, camera. Not that there is much, but I thought maybe this is the reason. But I, I tried it, and this does not seem to be the reason. Then last night, when, when doing the shooting with the ballerina, I used um, like continuous shooting. So I thought maybe this is the reason. Maybe the... Um, the, the diaphragm was too slow for the continuous shooting, but I tried this again today, and this was not the reason. Suddenly, it it stopped working again. So this this really sucks. Okay, so you have a wedding uh, next week or when? Yeah, uh, next weekend exactly. Will you use it 200 for important shots, or do you feel? You uh, on manual focus, maybe, or what yeah, is your is, this take is on it? This is really the, the thing um, I'm asking myself at the moment, because when when even the the aperture diaphragm stops to work, and it is on f32, <laughs> then manual focus is not doing mm -hmm. me any good either. Yeah. So um, I will try to find out what's the problem the next two days but when i don't find it out i think i will only use it for for staged shots where um, i can i can, can repeat, repeat the shot mm. so that would be my recommendation too in this uh. case I also think that you will be very happy with the 85 1.4 on the A7 Mark III uh, 
because it will offer probably a very fast and smooth uh, experience uh, and uh, will be very reliable. Um, I also used the 50mm 1.4 ZA, the Sony Zeiss lens, uh, for my last wedding most of the time on the A7 Mark III. It's also not the fastest lens, uh, very comparable to the 85mm G Master, but actually it nailed all the shots I wanted and was very respo uh, uh, reliable. So I, I think it will be not a bad choice to use it on the A7 Mark III. Yeah, currently um, it's it's still in question. As I told you, someone offered me uh, a a 35 1.4 uh, ZA uh, Sony size. So oh. if if that arrives in the next three days, I might consider using that lens on the Mark III because mm -hmm. it has no button for IAF. And then use the 85 on the R2. It has a button, so it IAF works properly. Okay. But then, honestly, I I don't really like using untested equipment for weddings because, like the the whole history now with the 200 millimeter lens is exactly the reason why. Okay, but let me give you at least the forecast that the 35 1.4 will be um, very reliable and very comparable in performance to the 85 1.4. And uh, even Maybe if it doesn't have a, have, it's a tad faster, but it's not a world faster. So. Okay. Yes, yes, it's more action ready, of course, uh, no doubt about that, but it isn't as fast as uh, the latest iterations. So you would say it's in regarding to autofocus speed, it's closer to the 85 than the 24 G Master? Yes, uh, I think it's right in between, and it's uh, but it's uh, much slower than the fastest lenses like the 24 to 70 G Master or the 135 millimeter G Master. Okay, and um, so the 1.4 24 millimeter is slower than the 24 70 G Master zoom. Yes, the 24 to 70 G Master Zoom is ridiculously fast. It's uh, instantly locking uh, on the subject I want to focus, no matter if it's at infinity, but the lens is on minimum focus distance or whatever. It's just there when I push the button, and uh, this is a tremendous quality that I absolutely love about this lens. And uh, that's also very underrated in most discussions about uh, standard zoom lenses. Yeah, interesting. Now, we have been talking about 20 minutes about autofocus, uh, <laughs> which uh, is an interesting and, 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 thing. And, and, um, and we, we can move on team. from this point. Yeah, I think uh, it's done for now. Bastian will have to see um, if you can get a grip on the 200 or not. Um, identify the issue uh, when it happens actually one time the the lens like the gm lenses it has a focus hold button or whatever you want to call it and i pressed the button and then the lens stopped working <laughs> so uh, i i don't really know what to make of it and this metabones adapter 
like I, I have always been fan of the of the Sigma MC11. It it ne I never had an issue with that adapter on the R2. Everything worked flawlessly. Like not with every lens AF was great, but it I never had like a, a failure, an error, malfunction, whatever. So I was really curious to try out this Metabones adapter and I think it is a bit too complicated. The the adapter has a button of its own. And as you may know or not, you can use the lenses in the green mode or the advanced mode. So in the advanced mode, the lenses are ought to work like an original Sony lens. So you have working aperture. If you set the aperture to f8, the lens will stop down to f8. So you will, you can focus at f8. You can use the um, the magnify at f8, whatever you want. But the thing is, there are certain ways to access this mode, and one is you you need to turn on the camera, and then while holding down the button, you have to attach the lens and and all things like that. So I think is. It's very complicated, and I think it's also a bit prone to failure due to that. Yeah, especially uh, in a um, yeah in a hurry when you are in a wedding situation. So exactly, exactly. It's it's not like you always pay attention. Where do I grab the adapter to not accidentally touch this button? Is is stupid. It's mm. just stupid. Yeah. Um. Talking about stupid, um, Peak Design released a new tripod uh, with a uh, really nice Kickstarter campaign. They raised over 4 million euros so far, and my first thought was, well, that could be my next tripod. It's very compact, uh, it's light, it deploys fast, so everything I would like in a tripod. But you, Bastian, weren't so sure about that. I first need to ask, did you think this before or after you saw the price? Because I think we have to talk about the price too. Um, right. I, saw the, I thought the pre-order price for the aluminium version would be okay. Ah, so so yeah. you would be rather interested in the aluminium version. Yeah, I think the difference is uh, maybe 300 grams or so, and uh, at that price difference, yeah. But carbon is not only about weight, uh, it's also about shock absorption, so um, I have a carbon tripod for a while now. It's a Faisal, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I have to an impression that it's more sturdy and uh, less prone to vibrations than every aluminium tripod that I've used before. To be honest, I think getting, without getting into detail what I think about this, this tripod, I think the aluminium version kind of dis destroys the purpose of this tripod a bit, right? because the weight is, is nothing special anymore. There are like these these Velben tripods, the diameter is a bit bigger, but they are even faster to set up. They cost a fraction, 
and okay. they are just as tall without center column as well. I think we should focus on several issues first. Uh, maybe a, a speed of setup. Um, why don't you think the Welbin would be faster? The, the problem with the peak design, in my opinion, is to be able to adjust the ball head and, the, and level your camera, you first have to push up the, the center column a bit. And the mm. center column looks quite a bit flimsy to me. And then it's some people prefer flip lock, some people prefer twist lock. But um, I think twist lock, you are often not as far as with the, the, the uh, no, 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 with, with the flip lock, you are not as fast as with a flip lock, I think. And the Velbon is, is a special design where you lock all the different leg sections with just one rotation. Okay. Oh, so which model the, is it exactly? Can you give it's, me... Um, you it's... can have a look, for example... Uh, Ultra 655, for example. Yeah, exactly. Ultra okay, uh, let me Google that. Um... There are many more. And um, the thing is, with the flip locks, but ah, it's okay. also true for twist lock, you have to lock every leg angle after the other. So the peak design tripod has lots of leg sections. Lots of them. I count one, two, three, four, four, five, yeah. Uh, I think it's five sections for locks. Yeah, I think it's, it's six sections, five locks, but I'm not 100% sure. It's yeah. five sections, four locks, I think. Okay. Still uh, enough. But a lot, yeah. Okay. Um. I, I, I mean, one thing about these sections is that uh, the shape of the um, of the tubes is, is much different. It's not round, it's, uh, it's a profile. And I think it's uh, more stable than a tube. Um, so maybe these uh, more sections aren't uh, decreasing stability in a way as uh, as a smaller tube would it would do it. But nevertheless, will disagree with you. <laughs> I'm I am not sure about uh, the cross section of the leg yet. Um, right now, I I don't know how thick the walls are. I don't know how the material is distributed. I actually, I, I don't even know what is the exact shape of the smallest leg sections. I don't know yet. But in general, there is a reason that most tripod legs are round, hollow sections. It's just, uh, it, it offers the same stability in all directions. So that always made sense to me. And... Honestly, I think with the peak design, this was mostly a design decision. And no question, this thing looks pretty cool. No doubt about that. As long as you don't see the flimsy center column. Yeah, with a fancy I, uh, I, smartphone uh, adapter. <laughs> I try to recap my engineering lessons uh, now, but I don't uh, exactly get it. But I think a trapeze profile 
could be more stable, at least in a few directions, than a, a round profile. But yeah, uh, this, is, this is the thing: the the round section has the same rigidity in all directions. And but does a tripod need rigidity in all directions? Actually, I think so because it's it's mostly axial load, so it's it's mm. mostly a stability issue, and you don't know before in, in which direction it will bend. Now, with the peak design, no question that the the white direction is more stable than a round one, but I wonder about the other one and. Actually, I often with my smaller tripods, when I set it up, I spread the legs a bit so they are under tension, mm. makes the tripod more stable. And with the peak design, this is the weak direction of the legs. I would do that too. Okay. So yes. this doesn't really make me happy. Okay. So I think we rigidity is in question if it can compete with similar uh, tripods of similar weight or if it maybe it's even better I think we have to wait till you get your hands on it think your yeah. girlfriend uh, yeah. pre-ordered one yeah she she does <laughs> she actually against my advice but uh, in this oh, case oh. it's Good thing. No? <laughs> okay. Yeah, look forward to that. I think but we can say for certain that the volume is really is actually really low. Um, this this is also the thing. I I don't know. I I posted this uh, this Tony Northrop video, and um, he compares it to the Manfrotto B3, and uh, lots of my friends have the tripod. My girlfriend too, actually. And uh, it also comes in aluminium and in carbon fiber. And this is a, a tripod I kind of like to recommend to people that are not as, as crazy about photography as most of us are. Because it's, it's not super expensive. It's like on, on discount you can get it with ball head often for like 170, something like that. Yeah, just looking at it, you can get it for 180 euros shipped at the moment. Yeah, and the aluminum version is like around 100. So it's if if you are someone who bought an A6000 with maybe V18 to 105, and you add this 12 millimeter mm. Samyang or something, I think this is a reasonable tripod to get. And of course, yes. And Northrop, he compared it to the Peak Design just shortly, but the volume is very similar, very, very similar. The Peak Design it looks sleeker because you don't see the locks on the legs, but I doubt on your backpack you would notice a difference. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, the, in terms of space, it's thinner. But uh, the head always rests on top of it. So this means uh, that you need more leg segments uh, to achieve the same heat. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, but I really, also, I'm 
really don't like to use the tripod. Uh, you think you noticed from my question. Oh, I know. But I'm not it's too informed. And um, what I really hate about my theory tripod is that I have to reverse it to get the head free. Um, so I think that would be a big plus for me for the peak design. But this is the thing. You, you don't have to flip over the legs, but you always have to extend the center column. Yeah. Okay, for, you, okay. for your application, I, I see the pictures you take. You are often in the forest. You are often close to the ground. Yeah. I would get the tripod that comes without center column. Yes. Yeah. So maybe compromise a bit on the height. Like I think 120, 130 would be enough for you. And ditch the center column altogether. Then it's the fastest to set up. It, it's also the way I did it. I ditched the center column as well. And uh, I only go with legs and the head on a bigger plate. This is very stable and um, with a head like a Arca Swiss P0, it's also still quite compact but very sturdy. And I also love the panorama function of that head. So this is also another disadvantage for the peak design, in my opinion, that Hopefully. you can't properly take panorama pictures, at least not without uh, buying a special adapter for different heads and then buying another separate expensive head and everything. So then, um, yeah, the calculation gets messed up completely, in my opinion. Uh, also, in that case, you have to add the height of the head to the whole tripod. And now the peak design is like, a, it's not at all, it's only about 40 centimeters, I think. But the moment you add like a, a decent ball that is at least seven, eight centimeters, rather 10, then the dimensions are nothing special anymore, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, I'm sure I won't get it uh, anytime soon. And uh, actually, I bought uh, that small uh, Kalman, the smaller German yeah, brand, I think. And Carvao something. It has a stupid name, I remember. Yeah. Um, I bought it and it works so far quite fine. It's often not really high enough, but for working close to the ground and so, and so. It works really fine. It fits into my bag, um, so I usually have it with me. Didn't have much opportunity to use it in the last couple of months, but I think I will use it a little more in the coming time, and uh, maybe that can s turn me into a tripod user, more regular tripod user. Let's see. I I actually think in your case is. It's a good tripod for you because it's small enough to take with you. And I doubt that for many of your pictures, you need the tripod to be very high. Yeah. Um, quite, uh, quite true. Yeah. Usually I end up hand holding the camera anyway and sacrificing some sharpness. But I usually can get away with it, especially with my 16 to 35 millimeter, which is stabilized. 
and I can handhold it to well, maybe half a second. Not, it, it isn't as sharp as if I had used a tripod, but uh, it's sharp enough usually, and uh, so yeah, that works well enough for me. But let me add uh, two more thoughts on it. First of all, I think Peak Design is quite a phenomenal company in terms of first look of their products and marketing in general. So uh, if you look at their bags, uh, these bags aren't much more practical than other bags. Maybe even a tad more impractical, impractical in some aspects, but uh, they look fancy and they also get a bit hyped uh, and i think this happens with this tripod at the moment as well let's yeah. take yeah. your girlfriend for example she uh, probably uh, caught the medial attention about it and thought oh this is a good looking tripod different cool design looks like a clever solution and Absolutely. hit the kickstarter kick button Absolutely. and um I think um, many uh, people think like her, and even I was in the same boat it, uh, in the moment when I first saw it. And this is the second point about it. I always appreciate if somebody tries to think about uh, an established thing differently. Uh, and uh, this is what Peak Design did here. I absolutely respect them for trying to find a different design for a um, for a totally uh, yeah um, worn out topic but um, now um, I, I think they should have given it I don't know if it would have needed more iterations or maybe a different still a different design but it doesn't convince me in at 100% like you said uh, yeah, usually if you buy a first-generation product, a revolutionary first-generation product, it turns out to have a few issues. Mm. And also I think we don't uh, need a revolution on purpose just of having a revolution. I think we need it to get an advance and I don't see the real advance in this case. I mean, a, a bit slimmer, okay, but the same length and... Yeah, it isn't lighter, it isn't... It's is a little smaller, it, it isn't just really different. faster. Um, so, yeah, it is more expensive. <laughs> sure. and, and it's a bit different and it looks cool. That's That uh, yeah. sums it up. Okay, yeah, I think we've talked enough about it. Or did we miss anything, Bastian? Actually... I, I'm quite happy that so many people bought it because I think if they make a second generation, it may actually be a pretty good tripod. It's what I have seen so far. We are not the only people complaining about the things that we were complaining about. Like you have to release the center color, the ball head doesn't offer panorama function so i think if if maybe they come out with a new iteration it it may be a really good tripod that we all will be interested in the same happened with these anchor links we are now in the in the fifth or sixth generation and 
they are now really good. Like they they changed the the wiring several times. They changed the, the shape of this blacky part, and now they work really well. But the first generation was not working as great. So I I see room for improvement, and I think it's actually possible the peak design will further improve on this tripod design. Mm. Did you guys ever use a Kickstarter campaign and came out well or not well? No, never did it. I know that uh, David uh, actually used uh, or tried the Arsenal Kickstarter <laughs> and <laughs> came remember. out, <laughs> let, let, let's say, unhappy, to put it at least. <laughs> so I backed a few things and so far I cannot say that I am entirely happy. So these days I am very, very skeptical. I was you pledging for that uh, Alpine Labs uh, re Spark remote, and I, I told you about this thing is <laughs> the total mess. Room where you couldn't change the battery, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> you can you you buy a remote trigger, and you can neither change the battery nor charge it. This yeah. is absolutely ridiculous and in in the end at Photokina uh, 2018 I bought a similar product from Myops is is slightly bigger but it has mini USB I can plug it in and it charges and the app can even tell me how how much it's it's charged yeah, yeah. So okay. this this was this Alpine Lab Spark was a total waste of money, and it had no product support whatsoever. The the company pretty much vanished. Okay. Yeah, I remember remember Maya Optics uh, was a trial plan lenses. Yeah. Um, they used Kickstarter to make quick money and uh, they released more and more lenses in Kickstarter and in the end uh, they screwed people for I think over a million dollars uh, and never delivered so I'm yeah probably be not a good idea uh, to go on Kickstarter and and to be honest this was not my my last that experience. I also pledged for what was called super straps. It uh, were attachment things for the shoulder straps of your backpack. It was all to release a bit of the weight and it makes things worse. And I thought, okay, maybe it's my statue, maybe it's my backpack, but my girlfriend got them too. And she came to the same conclusion that they they don't make any sense. So both of us we spend like forty fifty euro, and it's completely useless. Hmm. It and they also they had the fancy video. They had people telling you how great it is, but the thing is, it it just isn't. And the manufacturing quality was 
kind of bad as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, another topic. Cosina uh, uh, announced release the Vogtländer uh, 21mm 1.4. What do you expect from it? I'm not, I'm not sure about it. Uh, they called it Nocton, if I remember correctly. So this is usually not the highest optical quality. It's fast, but it's usually not the best in the market. And uh, I think a 21mm 1.4 is mostly fancy for astrophotography and uh, night photography. So... I would prefer a very, very well-corrected lens for that. And um, at least from its size, I think it has the potential to be a good lens, but I don't know if it will be good enough and if it will be better than the 24mm 1.4G Master. And this is really the Achilles heel of this concept, in my opinion, because the 24mm 1.4G Master is so, so good, not that much more expensive and uh, autofocus has all the convenience and the great G Master build quality. Uh, I wouldn't go by the name but my expectation is also that it will probably have some mid-zone dip or not be as good as the G Master, not as sharp, not, not as perfect well corrected comma. I am actually not sure about that yet because with with all the lenses that Cosina has been releasing under the Weiklander brand lately, I think pretty much every new lens was better than expected. The the 40 is, is highly regarded. I, I don't like it as much, but this is another story. But then shortly after, they came out with the 50 and pretty much addressed everything I didn't like about the 40. Yeah, they improved in the onion rings, they reduced field curvature. Um, and I, I even like the bokeh more, to be honest. Yeah, I think especially at longer distances, it's quite a bit better. So with the 21, I think it, it will have significant vignetting, light fall off. Mm. We, I think we have seen that with all the small Cosina lenses. Mm. And still also the, the GM has quite a bit. I think this is, this is the compromise you have to take when, when designing a small yet fast lens. Yes. So here I'm interested to see how it compares to the GM. The GM, I think, is also close to to uh, free EV and three stops vignetting. Yeah. I, I think they're two point eight or something like that. Mm. And I fear the Voigtlander it will be above free again. I'm currently I am expecting three point five actually. And this will be a significant downside for astrophotography. 
Yes, yeah. and even even the with the G Master, it's a downside. You have to brighten the corners for uh, three or two point five stops, maybe a little less, uh, just for the looks of the image. But uh, this means that you will have to increase ISO by three stops, and this gets into a crazy range uh, if you want to have it corrected. And yeah, yeah. So, so I also think twice about using it wide open or stopping it down depends on the situation. But uh, in case of doubt, I still take the brighter stop. Also, with with these lenses with strong vignetting, I always have to be careful to not blow out highlights close to the center of the frame. Even yeah, it often affects uh, exposure metering, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And if if you have a picture with a with a rather bright sky, you need to underexpose by a lot to or not use center weighted exposure measurement. Yeah, I I use Zebra all the time to double check it. All the people that take my camera and try it uh, are annoyed by that, but uh, I love this feature and it's uh, like my lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, I only use it when it's really critical and I know that I'm at the limits of the dynamic talking range. Talking about that, um, on I think like one or two generations ago, Nikon introduced uh, a metering where it's will set the exposure so that the highlights won't blow out. I, it's, it's not perfect at night. It will probably get you in trouble for blue hour shooting. But in general, for all portrait wedding sports, I think it would be a really useful feature. I, I think Sony has that too in the current generation. Is it I, raw based or JPEG based? This is a good question. I'm not sure. Because with Sony's Zebra function, it is based on the JPEG setting. Yeah. And you usually have more than a stop um, of a reserve uh, from Zebra, even at its mm. most sensitive setting, until um, it actually is overexposed. I, I think with Zebra... Fred Miranda measured it once. You can, uh, when the lines start to appear at the highest setting, you can push the exposure by two stops, and then you will have enough room to recover them. Yeah, in my experience, that usually works okay, but not if one color channel is dominant. So if you have a sunset with a lot of red in it, um, I have blown highlights. Mm with less than two stops incre increment. But I'm on an A7 Mark II, might work different on the A7R Mark II or Mark III. Yeah, this, this is another thing I noticed now. I, I was um, doing it like that on the R2 and like using the highest zebra setting and then when the, the stripes start to appear, then it was good for me. It, it always worked for me. But on the Mark III, so far, 
I think I need to be more careful. I think it's it's easier to blow out the highlights, but I mm. I have to look into that as well. But dynamic range should be the same for both. Maybe a yeah, tad better. Same. Maybe tad better for A7 Mark III. Even 14.7 stops is huge. Yeah, I actually when when I first noticed that I have like more pictures with blown out highlights than I'm used to. Actually, I went to DxO Mark and compared them, and it is the same. So I, I still wonder about that one. Mm. Yeah, yeah so. it's also with the DxO measurements, uh, they are always <laughs> rather intransparent in what they actually measure. Yeah, so, and it, yeah. it doesn't really, at least I did not look further into it. Um, I didn't check in, in which direction it goes. It is easily possible that uh, the Mark III with bigger pixels has a bit more room in the shadows while yeah. the R2 has a bit more in the highlights. But yeah, I, well. I didn't check that yet. It's, it's just a guess. That was also my impression so when using them both side by side. So this could be true. Um, just uh, one thing, I found the name for this uh, metering mode. Uh, it's called Highlight just in, in the Sony A7 Mark III. I think they introduced it in the A6500. So uh, since then, people can use this Highlight metering mode, which you described for the Nikon. Oh, where, where can I find it? Where you choose the metering mode, like uh, Spot or Multi, whatever. Really? I only have multi-center and spot. There should be entire screen average and highlight as well. Oh, I have been picking up my R2. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Wait, wait a second. They look the same from the outside. And, okay. and also, now that I had them both in the hand, uh, I like the shutter button of the R2 more. It's just what you're used to, I think. I can't, ah. I, I can't find, I, I can't find a flaw in it after using it for a while. And uh... they now, now I see. I, I did not get the chance to check yet. They, they offered more metering modes, indeed. Yeah. I think the Mark Three uh, cameras are full of surprises. In when you start to dig into details, there are really a lot of useful functions. And uh, a lot of small improvements that help a lot. So I think you will have some fun digging into all the details of the yeah, camera. The, the problem is uh, some of the, the options in the menu, you have no idea what they mean. <laughs> at, yeah. at least this is the case for me. Uh, I think for the A9, actually, Sony uh, introduced with the latest firmware update a very nice feature. I don't know if it's in the version th 3 of the A7 III as well, but if you uh, hit the uh, trash or the recycle bin button in the menu of the A9, uh, a description of the menu point will appear. So maybe this is in the A7 III Mark, uh, or Mark III as well, but I didn't check it yet because I, I have it. it. I, I have just, it set up for my needs and I don't dig into the menu that often anymore. I, I just 
checked and nope. Interesting. <laughs> trash can you just get out of the menu okay so maybe just for the a9 a very interesting and tempting camera but that is another discussion that we can uh probably yeah yes that's quite true yeah okay yeah um i think that was a nice chat first experiment but i have a feeling we will repeat it Yes, I think it was a lot of fun to talk about these topics, and uh, yeah, even if we, uh, even although we chat uh, every day with each other, um, it's still different uh, talking about it than writing. And if anyone can tell me what's the problem with the combination of Metabones A7 Mark III and Canon 2 to 200, please get in contact. Maybe you are the only person on the planet who owns both, but <laughs> probably true. Yeah. Probably true. Uh, if it was a 1.8, I would be sure about it. That combination is not. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. So have a nice evening. Yes, you too. Thank you. Bye. 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 Jungs.